Good morning, church. Good morning. Hey, let's try that again because Edgewood was not with us and paying attention. Good morning, church. Good morning. Hey, we're grateful that you're here. Uh, we are embarking on a new year, uh, and for many of us, that's commitments to be a new me uh, or a new version of our old self. And uh, today, uh, my prayer is is that in many ways we would contemplate not about what God wants for us this year but what God wants for us every day of our life. And uh, I think that uh, one of the challenges that we have in knowing what it is the Lord really desires for us is simply our lack of understanding how holy and majestic and how worthy God is. And here, here it is, as we begin uh, kind of not, the ninth year of this place called Stone Point Church, I just have a confession to make. Um, I think in many ways I've inspired you to see things other than the glory of God. Um, in many ways, I think I have challenged our church to, hey, I want you to serve your heart out. I want you to uh, be committed to so many things. And I just want you to understand that your commitment is never to me. And I want you to understand that your commitment is never to this, this place called Stone Point. That our commitment is to a holy and righteous and perfect loving God who saw fit uh, in his righteousness, to stoop down uh, because of his holiness, because of his sovereign plan to redeem fallible, messed up people like me, pastors who have um, got it wrong in the past. And as I just look over the room, I'm sure there's many of you that I've got it wrong with, and I'm sorry. I want to point you to a God who loves you and loves me and wants all uh, for us to be in, in all of the glory of God. And so today we're embarking on a new series, and here's the goal of the series. The goal of this series, which I think may be the most challenging thing that I've embarked upon in the last nine years, is to for the next five, six, seven, I don't know, nine weeks, until the Lord tells us that we're going to move on from this, is to help you understand and be captivated by the glory of God. And I just want you to see how good He is and how perfect and wonderful and holy He is and that we can enjoy Him. And, and I pray that in many ways that it changes not only our hearts and our lives, and in many ways I pray that it inspires us to commit ourselves to Him and to the local church. Because I do believe that as messed up as the local church can be, as many times as we can get it wrong, I really do still believe that it is God's plan to reach the nations. And so my prayer is, is that you would see the glory of God and that you would behold His glory and it would captivate your heart, not because of, of how witty of a guy I am or the ability for me to inspire you in some way, but that you would be so captivated by the glory of God in your life that you would give your life to His kingdom and to His church and to serving Him with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And that's all I got for you. And I'm going to give it to you the best I know how. Um, and we're going to start in Acts chapter 2. Um, the, the local church being uh, inspired by God and by His holiness in Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. It's a passage that we use around here a lot of times to help people understand what was happening in the New Testament church. And um, though uh, the New Testament church was thriving, uh, this is not a uh, prescription for what we have to do, but it's a description of what the church was doing in that day. And uh, what's so phenomenal about it is what I think I see in verse 43. Uh, it says in verse 42 that they, meaning the early church, uh, the apostles and the followers of Jesus in this day and time, in the early parts, in the early days of the church, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. 
and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul. If you have a, a hard copy of a Bible with you, it's a great place to underline it, highlight it, circle it, point some arrows to it, and put a question mark. What does that mean? That all came upon every soul. And then it says, many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together, and they had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and their belongings. They were distributing their proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, they attended the temple together, and they were breaking bread in homes. They received their food with glad and generous hearts. They were praising God. They had the favor with all the people. And the Lord added their number day by day, those who were being saved. So what you see here is you see some people who um, their commonality was that they wanted to love God and that they had just experienced something through the person and the work of Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God who was slain to take away the sin of the world. Uh, many of them saw that with their eyes and those that did not see it uh, are, are now secondhand witnesses to a fact that was bore uh, before many people. If they didn't see it, they might have run into Jesus after the resurrection, as we see uh, in the, the accounts of the Scripture that many, many uh, hundreds of witnesses saw him after the resurrection. So what we do know is they were inspired to follow God through the person and the work of Jesus. And they were so inspired that they were awestruck, so much to the point that they were willing to do whatever it took to keep the people, the assembly of people, following Jesus um, together. And even if it meant that they were sharing their goods or uh, if they were breaking bread in homes or they were attending and the, over the apostles' teaching, all of these different things uh, they were devoted to. It, it reminds you of what the writer of Hebrews says uh, when he gives a, a comparison in Hebrews chapter 12, the latter part of it. He goes, hey, listen, there, there was once a time where we, we were bound to the law, that our, our only... Uh, intermediate uh, intercessor between the people and God was Moses on Sinai. And he was the only one that got to be in the presence of God. And they were all bound to law. But he goes, now we can think about who we have. We have a, a kingdom that will never be shaken. That we get to come to God on Zion, a city, the, the, the city that, uh, that is built on the hill. That we get to be a part of that. And get, get this, our intermediate, our intercessor is not Moses, but it is a perfect Jesus who allows us to be ushered into the grace of God. No longer bound solely to the law. We are to live for the glory of God by the work of the Holy Spirit in our life. And so as a result of that... He says in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 28 and 29, this. He goes, therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus, let us offer to God an acceptable worship with reverence and awe. For our God is a consuming fire. That if you and I were to usher into the presence of God and we were to see his face, as I was reading early this morning before uh, the sun ever rose, I was reading 1 Timothy chapter 6. And it just says, no one can look on the face of God. Like you can't behold him. But guess what? We get to be in his presence because of his son Jesus. But if I was to see him, I would be consumed because he is an all-consuming fire. His holiness, his, his reverence is, is not... For us and our, our minds to evil be able to obtain, although we should think upon such things and we should desire such things. And so here's what I want you to understand as we start this year. That is that our God is awesome. I'm not talking about this cliche thing that we say and we pass in the grocery store. Like, oh, how are you? I'm doing good. Well, hey, you know, tell me about your life. Oh, well, hey, God is good. 
God is good all the time. All the time, God is and you say that, like, but listen, can I just be honest? Like, that's kind of a cliche in the culture. Like, we say that sometimes without even pondering on such things. It's just kind of become a thing in the church. Like, oh, God is good. I mean, is he really? I mean, yes, he is. But you're like, but think about just 10 minutes earlier how you were grumbling and complaining. Like, if you think about the awestruck wonder of God, that he truly is awesome, then it changes everything about our mindset. It changes about the things that we say and do and think. It changes everything about who we are. Why? Because we are a part of a kingdom that will never be shaken. His kingdom never comes to an end. Listen, your job's going to come to an end. I promise you. The, the uh, dynasty of the patriots is going to come to the end. Like you saw that last night. Can I get a witness? There are things that are going to be temporary here, but we are a part of a kingdom that will never end. It will not be shaken. God is worthy. He is perfect. He is to be revered. Which is one of the reasons that I contacted a couple of our uh, people that would oftentimes print my name uh, in the newspaper. Typically, it's in an obituary, and they would say, Pastor uh, Brandon Bachtel, or most of the time, they would say, Reverend Brandon Bachtel. And the reason why is because that it was a kind of a, an issue of respect. I just go, hey, if you don't mind, will you never put reverend in front of me again? And here's why. is because I am not to be revered. Though I have a great calling on my life to shepherd the flock of God among me, listen, I want you to know that I don't place myself as a reverend. And listen, because I know who is to be revered. I know who the one is to be pointed to that is, should, we should be awestruck over. And it is the one who is worthy of all such praise. He is an awesome, all-consuming fire. He is unapproachable, yet he allows us to be approached through his son Jesus. His ways are loftier than our ways. His thoughts are far greater than our thoughts. Paul says it this way to the church in Romans, in Romans 11, verse 33, as he's thinking about who can understand who God is. He says, Says, oh, the depths of the riches and the wisdom of the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable are his ways. Like, think about how God is. As he would tell Job back in the Old Testament, Job, who are you to come at me? Like, do you, do you know where snow comes from? Do you, do you, have you ever made snow happen? Have you ever organized the things that are happening in all of creation? Job, you might back down a little. And just thinking about the holiness and the splendor of God, I want you to think about that, that God is always righteous. He is always good in his power. He's good in his grace. God is always good in his faithfulness and his mercy towards us. He is always good in his holiness. He is good in his justice, in his rule, in his reign. He is good um, and true in all that he does and even says. His words are always true. He will always come to pass in his judgments and his actions, though oftentimes we don't understand them and may not even agree with them, they are still always good and they're always right. When he is angry, he is good. When he preserves life, he is good. When he takes life, he is good. God is always good. His words can be hard at times, even difficult as they judge the, the joint and the marrow of our own lives, but he is still good. His words can be gentle, and they are good. His promises are always good. He is a faithful God who always provides for those who love him. All good gifts come from God because he's awesome. He is 
everything that we need to think about. But the challenge is, is not, not that God is awesome, but that you and I in this room have what I would call an all problem. We have a problem understanding what all is. Matter of fact, think about this just real quickly. When is the last time that you thought about the goodness of God in his creation? I mean, think about as you're sipping coffee. That I'm not talking about the cheap stuff. I'm talking about a good coffee. Grind it in your house, rich, dark roast, as you just enjoy it. When's the last time that you, as it touched your lips that you savored the flavor and you thought, wow, that's good. When's the last time that you thought about God's incredible universe, that he intentionally filled our planet with good things, amazing things that oftentimes will leave you breathless? When's the last time that you think about a swarm of bees that would create their own queen and that would even take and and make the temperature of their hive suitable for conditions in winter? When's the last time that you thought about the splendor of fresh fruit in the spring coming off the vine and that it tasted so sweet and so delicate to your lips as it touched it? When's the last time that you savored such a flavor? When's the last time that you saw the scary yet mesmerizing view of lightning as it filled the sky from heaven to earth? You looked at it and you beheld its glory because it shook you. When's the last time that you saw the majesty of a zinnia and the breathtaking aroma of a gardenia? When's the last time that you just savored that in? When's the last time that you thought about the complexity of the human body, that your fingers and toes would actually work? Or even more than that, the intricacies of our human body and the way that we're woven together in our mother's womb, that God did that. And more than that, he did it not only by a spoken word, but by breathing life into a formless void. That's an amazing thing to think about. Think about the rhythms that we enjoy in our life from our heartbeat to the ocean's waves, to the brain, to the sound of music. When's the last time that you just took in the rhythms of life and you thought, wow, that's an amazing thing, that the sun rises and it sets every day, that our, our earth revolves in orbit. When's the last time that you thought about things like that, that you took in sights and sounds and that you enjoyed taste and you realized that all of this came from an awesome designer, a God who loved you, that he created the creation for you to be daily awestruck at his splendor, at his glory, all revealed to point to the creator. That's the God I'm talking about. I'm talking about a God who is worthy. John Piper says it this way, and I think it, it captivates me. Like, this sums me up, if, if I could just be honest. If you don't see the greatness of God, then all the things that money can, become, uh, can buy become very exciting. If you can't see the, uh, the sun, you'll be impressed with a streetlight. If you never felt the, 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 the thunder and the lightning, you'll be impressed with fireworks. If you turn back to the greatness and the majesty of God, you'll fall in love with a world of shadows and short-lived pleasures. If you don't see the awestruck wonder of God, you are just impressed by almost anything. Because when you are captivated by all of God, you are awestruck. And your, your heart, in many ways, is postured towards a God who loves you and cares so deeply for you. Now, you might wonder, do I really have an all problem? And I would say, yeah, absolutely, we have an all problem. And and here's why we have an all problem. Uh, David writes this in Psalm 27, 4. Is he possibly even, 
he's in turmoil, potentially surrounded by enemies. Maybe it's his son, Absalom, who is after his kingdom. Uh, maybe it's another difficult moment. We don't know exactly. But he, he, he starts off, and he is just celebrating who God is in verses 1 through 3. And then he gets to verse 4, and he, he kind of moves to this contemplative thought. And this is what he says. He goes, Lord, there's one thing that I've asked of, Lord, that I would seek after, that I would dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, and that I would gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. What he is basically saying goes, Lord, I have, I have taken down enemies. I have been in peril. I have, I have fended off lines to, to keep the sheep. I have seen a great giant and Goliath fall. I have, I have been chased. I have, in many ways, been through peril and, and difficulties. But Lord, what would it look like if I could just... All the days of my life, like I didn't have to worry about all this mess. I could just gaze upon the beauty of God and I could just be in the house with you. He goes, whether that's the tabernacle or the tent or, Lord, if it's your spirit that guides me, I just want to be in your presence. God, I just want to know you. I want to behold your glory. That's what his, his chief aim is. He goes, I want that. But here's what I want you to realize. The reason that we have an awe problem is because oftentimes the way we position ourselves. Let me just give you a few examples. One of them is just in self-sufficiency or self-reliance. That means um, that you uh, replace the awe of God with the awe of self. That in many ways you think that you are are able to just do things on your own accord, that you have enough strength, enough wisdom, enough skill to do the task. And, and oftentimes we do that on a daily basis. And we just forget that God's ways are higher than our ways and his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And so what we oftentimes find ourselves doing is we find ourselves meaningless tracking through life, knocking out task manager lists, doing things that we want to do, and, and we're just right in our own eyes. And it's self-sufficiency. But self-sufficiency is an awe problem of God. Because instead of you being struck by the glorious wonder of God, you are struck by the glorious wonder of yourself. And many of us, as we look in a mirror, are more about us and ourselves than we are about the awestruck nature and the glory of God. And so self-sufficiency is an awe problem. Materialism is not first a money problem. As I was reading, even this morning, uh, Timothy is commissioned by Paul. He says, hey, for the love of money uh, is the root of all evil. He goes, there's going to be many that will depart the pet faith, and they're going to run after, and they're going to experience many pangs. Why? Because of the love of money. But only to realize that money is, is not the heart of the problem. What the heart of materialism is is an, is an all problem. It is you not understanding what we should be all in all of. And so if you're not in all of God, you will find yourself seeking after something, a pursuit of pleasure or wealth or amenities in order to commend yourself. And at the end of the day, your lack of trust is oftentimes found in a lack of all of God. And so if you are in a large cycle of debt, listen, what that means is, is that you have trusted in self-reliance in many ways. You have chased after things that will not fill the void in your life. And listen, it happens to all of us, and it, but it's an all problem. And here's why. Because instead of worshiping the Creator, we tend to go after the things that He has created. Materialism is an all problem. Fear of man is an all problem. If you find yourself struck by other people's opinions, 
whether it's a, 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 they not liking you on Facebook or not responding to text in a timely manner, or maybe it's they just don't agree with you and they, they seem to be opinionated and they dominate everything, and you just, you just feel like you never measure up. Listen, you need to know that the fear of man is an awe problem. It means that you've not put God in his proper place. Because does it really matter, as Paul says to the church in Galatians, does it really matter if other people don't care for you, if you have your identity and your worth in a God who says he loves you and he's given his son for you? Now, that doesn't give you the right or the, the ability to, just, to be a jerk to people because you're like, hey, I don't care if you like me or not. That's not what I'm saying. So if that's what you heard, please forgive me. What I am saying is, is that as we love the Lord, there are going to be people who don't love you or agree with you or, or want to do the things you want to do. But listen, if you are beholding the glory of God and you know that he is the one who defines you, then you don't have to worry about being defined by the culture or by others. Our, our disappointment with God is an awe problem. There are some of you that you're here, but if, if we're honest, you're angry with God and you've been angry with God for a long time. And you're angry with God because of circumstances in your life you're angry with God because there are things that have happened that you don't understand. And then all of your questioning with him, he's never answered. And even if he has answered, you didn't like it. Listen, here's what you need to know. People aren't angry with God because God did not uphold his word. Because God is always faithful to his word. God, you are upset with God because he didn't do what you wanted by your word. And oftentimes, it is the very request that we send to God in our selfishness and our self-reliance that oftentimes God never responds to. And we're frustrated by it. And listen, I just want you to realize that if you have a problem with God, it, it really begins with an awe. And, and kind of that Job conversation, not understanding, behold, the glory of God. Sin is an awe problem. I mean, sin at the core is selfishness, which means that we do what's right in our own eyes. But if we're not going to do what's right in our own eyes, and we're going to do what's right in our Heavenly Father's eyes, then guess what? Everything we do in our flesh is sin. I think we could sum that one up pretty quickly. But if we are all struck by the glory of God, then guess what? We bend ourselves to Him. We come to Him and we say, Lord, I want to trust you. Listen, our grumbling and our complaining is an awe problem. Whether you look at your task manager list or your schedule, even uh, last night we're talking about some things happening in our household. We got three kiddos under the age of 10. They all play basketball, all of them on different teams, all of different schedules. That means practice schedules, game schedules, work schedules. It's enough to overwhelm you. And here's what I found myself doing last night as we're talking about. I found myself grumbling and complaining and selfishness. And here's the thought that I had in my mind. Wouldn't it be awesome if we just didn't let our kids play? <laughs> Any other parents can relate? I mean, go ahead. Like, let's be honest. And here's what, I, here's, what, here's, here's what struck me in light of my message. I knew I was teaching on this this morning. Here's what struck me. In that moment, as me and my wife are, are, are working through this conversation, it's like the Lord just, it just pricked my heart and said, Hey, Brandon, would you just remind yourself real quickly that your kids... They breathe, and they can run, and they laugh. And listen, at the end of the day, for me, I'm not worried about scores and being the best athlete, but what I oftentimes am worried about is my own selfishness. Hey, wouldn't it be awesome just on a Sunday to just kind of lounge around the house, kind of do what I want? And if I want to watch a little football, if I want to work out in the shop, or I want to piddle in the garage, or I want to do something on my own time, I mean, it's my own time, right? 
But he goes, You're, you are grumbling and complaining, and, and when you do that, you miss all the glory and all the awe of God that is to be beheld. And I don't know what it is that you're grumbling or complaining about, but when you do that, you are missing the magnitude of the God in which we live by and serve. And so every time we grumble or complain, whether that's about people, about our circumstances, about our plans, about our provisions, or even God's lack of provisions, or the church, or other people, whatever it is, it is a reminder to us that our hearts are not in awe of the one to be revered. And so just think about what comes off that tongue and let it be pointing back to the one who says, our tongues are a reminder of a shaped heart. Jesus says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth will speak. We say where our hearts are positioned. Do you know that a lack of ministry is an all problem? See, I think one of the things that I've struggled with in the past is wanting so desperately for people to be involved in the ministry, to do their part to serve, that oftentimes I've pushed people more towards ministry and serving than the awe of God. And I think Paul David Tripp sums this up in a way that it really is helpful for me and is a great reminder to me. And here's what it is. Uh, he says, when all of God has captured your heart, ministry will fill your schedule. You don't need the church to schedule your ministry. Think about that for just a second. You will approach work, marriage, parenting, extended family, friendships, and community with a ministry mentality. If you, if you are dreading work tomorrow and because you've had a little bit of a break and you've got a breath of fresh air and you're like, I don't really want to do that, I'm, I'm kind of, uh, it's an all problem. And the reason it's an all problem is that you're forgetting that your work is an opportunity to glorify God in all you do. That your work is really not about materialism or money, but it's about working hard in all things for the glory of God, Colossians 3.17. Listen, there are some of you that you are teachers and coaches and you have a great ministry field. Get up, be inspired, and go do ministry for the glory of God. There are many of us that we get to serve within the local body and we get to be the hands and the feet of Christ and we get to do it inside these walls and outside of these walls. Listen, do it for the glory of God. If we don't do ministry, let me explain this to you real quick the best way I know how. Your issue is not merely laziness. Your issue is an awe problem. It's not a time problem. It's not a commitment issue. You are not more busy than me. There is not a person in the room that is more busy than me. I promise you. It is where we appoint and adjust our hearts. Now listen, I, I don't want to come with you at a competitive spirit. I want you to know that's my passion and my zeal for the Lord. Like I just want you to realize that oftentimes the things we complain about or we grumble about... Listen, it is just coming back to an awe problem as we align our hearts. We all get to choose what it is that we're going we're gonna to worship and we're going to serve and, and what it is we're going to give our time to. I just pray that we'll give them to the right things. And I pray that the Lord will adjust our hearts in that way. The question is, is if we do have an awe problem, which I think we all do, how do we, how do we allow the, the Lord to recapture that? How, how do we recover some of the challenges that we have. Like, how, how does that even begin? And I think Paul writes to the church of Corinth, and he does it in a beautiful way that helps me kind of realign and understand just kind of my heart. Um, and here's the deal. I think oftentimes we think that recovering our all problem is some new commitments, some lofty goals. 
Uh, and so oftentimes what we'll do is, hey, we'll, we'll recommit to a handful of things. Uh, for some of us, it, it may be, hey, we're going we're gonna to get a Bible reading plan, or hey, we're going we're gonna to get back into the church, or hey, we're going to get our kids back in church, or hey, I'm going to make my daughter go to youth group because she hadn't been going in a long time. And there's a lot of things that we'll have lofty goals of. But the rea- reality is, is if we don't do those from the right position, then they won't last. They'll just fade away pretty quickly. Um, I don't know about you. That's why I don't make New Year's resolutions, because I've never found myself to be able to keep them. So what do I do? I assess my life. I assess my past. And I also assess just my heart. And I go, Lord, I know there's some things that I've not won in that would honor you. And so, Lord, help me to honor you. And, And the way I do that is kind of based on what Paul says to the church in Corinth, which really is just what we would call an eternal perspective. It's knowing what matters in light of eternity. And so here's what he says in 2 Corinthians 5. I'm going to read 10 verses to you, and we're going to finish up with verse 14 and 15. Um, He just says, For we know that if the tent, that means our body, that's what he's talking about, is our earthly home and it's destroyed, we have this building from God, but it's a house not made with hands, it's eternal in the heavens. He goes, you dwell in us, this body that's going to fade away. It's, it, in a sense, what we have is the dwelling place of God. It's the tabernacle, but he goes, it's just a tent. It's going to eventually be folded up, and it's going to be destroyed. So you just need to know that our life is fleeting. It's momentary. Verse 2, for in this tent we groan. For some of us that had birthdays recently, it's, you're getting older and you groan, yes? It's not just that type. It's not just pains when you get out of bed, okay? Uh, it's groaning for something more, a longing for a heavenly dwelling. If indeed, uh, by putting on, uh, we may be found naked, for while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for the very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as guarantee. Now, if you're reading that, you're like, that's kind of confusing, because we're like in a tent, we want to be clothed, or we don't want to be clothed. Does that mean we should be naked, or we shouldn't be? He's not talking about clothing. What he's talking about is, is putting on the, the, the clothing of Christ. It's kind of the Colossians 3 metaphor. It's being clothed in righteousness. And the more that we clothe in righteousness, the more we're able to stand before God at the end of time when this final tent gives out and that he would be able to say, well done, thy good and faithful servant. He's not talking about a condemnation of like, hey, uh, you'll be judged at the very end. Uh, there's no condemnation for those in Christ. He's clearly writing to believers and he's saying, hey, listen, it is worthwhile for you to live for the glory of God so that you are clothed in the heavenly kingdom. That's what he's saying. And then he says in verse six, so we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we're away from the Lord. So he goes, as long as you're in the tent on earth, it means you're away from the Lord. You're not in his presence is what he's saying. Not talking about the Holy Spirit. He's talking about the physical presence, the beauty to be held in the heavenlies. But he goes, for now we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and be at home with the Lord. He goes, we would rather just die. To die and to be apart from the body is to be present of the Lord. And Paul says that's a significant gain, to not have to worry about the earthly tribulations and trials. He goes, I can't wait for my heavenly home. That's what he's speaking of here. And so he goes, whether we're at home or away, means whether we're in heaven or right now we're on earth, he says, we make it our aim to please him. You can underline that. Whether we are dead or alive, our goal is to live for the glory of the one who is to be beheld. 
Verse 10, for we are all going to appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. He goes, make your life count because God will give heavenly rewards to those who have loved him and served him and made their lives count. Verses 14 and 50 skips down and he says this, for the love of Christ controls us. Think about that real quickly. Underline that, bold in that, circle that, highlight that, make some comments out of the side. What does that mean for God's love controls us? It means that if we are his, we do his work. That's called ministry. And it means wherever we go, whatever we do, whether word or deed, whether we're eating, whether we're drinking, whether we're sleeping, everything can be for the glory of God. And then he says this, because we have concluded that this is what's happened. He has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for, say it with me, themselves. Guys, that is the key right there. But for him who for their sake died and was raised. Listen, can I just confess to you that my biggest problem is I'm selfish and I live way too much for myself. And I just, I've struggled to be awestruck by the wondrous beauty and the glory of God. I would be lying to you if I'm asking you to do something that I'm not also needing to do. I have to remind myself of the awestruck wonder of God. That oftentimes, if I'm not careful, I'll build my kingdom rather than the kingdom that cannot be shaken. The one that points to the everlasting life of God. And so I just want you to think about this. Like, hey, everything we do, everything we do should be thinking about recapturing all. Every thought we have should point us to God. Every desire should be ran through a lens of an awestruck wonder. Is what I desire what God desires? Is the way I'm treating my wife what God desires? Is the way I'm parenting my kids, is that what God really desires? Asking ourselves these questions is good. The way I think about my job, is that the way God should desire me to think about my job? The way I'm handling my finances and my stewarding the possessions, the time, the treasures of God, is that really honoring him? That's the question you should ask. Uh, what about possessions? What about your position? What about your power? Is that what God wants you to do? Do you lord your authority over somebody? Are, are you the boss that everybody thinks is a jerk? Or are you the one who everybody loves because you serve alongside of your, your subordinates? Think about what it looks like for you to be a citizen of our community, this community. What are your pursuits? What are you known for? Think about your expectation, not only of yourself, but of others. How difficult is it for us to place the same demands on our life that we'd place on others? I am so much more critical of others than I am myself. Anybody agree? Do I hold people to the same standards that I would hold myself to, or likewise, others to myself? Am I awestruck in allowing God to pull me out of my darkest moments? Am I awestruck in the way that I think about my exuberant celebrations? That I would celebrate the glory of God. Am I more patient with others? Am I, am I helping the weak? Am I supporting the lowly? What am I doing? Am I courageous? Am I wise? Am I self-seeking or am I a servant? The all of God helps me rule over every domain in my life for the glory of God. And so you go, well, how do I start? Here's how you start. You begin with God's word. 
Because no matter what your goals are for 2020, you need to know that there's a kingdom that will never be shaken and it existed far beyond 2020. And it will exist regardless if you meet all your expectations, demands, or goals, dreams, hopes, etc. So what would it look like if we just aligned all of our dreams and hopes and plans with the one thing that we know will always last? That makes more sense to me that we would align our lives with a God who is in all control. And so here's how I do it. I think, through, I think through wisdom. Where does wisdom come from? It comes from God. Is it, is it easily accessible? And the answer is yes, because all the divine wisdom of God is given to us right here. And so I encourage you to recapture all in wonder is to pick a reading plan. There's some online. Um, there are, there's hundreds of them, good ones online, uh, but we have four on our website. You can go grab one. Uh, you could pick a New Testament bu- book of the Bible. You could pick the Gospels, start in Matthew, read Mark, Luke, and John. Um, the goal is not to um, take l- big chunks. The goal is not to try to read through your Bible in a year so you can pat yourself on the back and celebrate something you've never done. And I think that's oftentimes what we make the goal about. We think the awe of being a Christian is to make it about our reading plan. That's crazy, isn't it? So that we can celebrate what? I've read through the Bible. Who cares if you didn't understand anything you read? And so the goal is to read and then also examine and apply. And so what I do is I take smaller chunks of Scripture. I mean five, six verses, just as it comes. Sometimes it may be seven or it could be eight. The goal is not to read an entire chapter and try to chew through that in one day. The goal is is to think and to meditate on the Scriptures in such a way that you could apply it. And so just real practical for you, I have a a notebook um, that I keep with me. And on that notebook, every single day, I write out just a little prayer. And and the prayer this morning uh, is, is simply this, Lord, help me to be a steward of the gospel. You have entrusted to me the care of your word as a servant. Lord, help me to not miss that. God, help me to remind myself that I should fight the good fight, run my race with perseverance. Lord, I need your help because I know that I will ruin my life if I am in control. That's what it looked like. And, and that came as a result of 1 Timothy chapter 6, 11 verses through 16. And I wrote that down. Do that every day and just take in the glory of God. And then pray. Celebrate God. So afterwards, I, I take that prayer and I just begin to pray to God. And you know how you should start your prayer? With adoration or with all. And just begin to list to the names and the things to celebrate of God. If you struggle with that, go and read Psalm 145. It's a great beginning point for you. Maybe may even be a great beginning point for you this week, just to go read Psalm 145 and go, I'm going to take a little chunk of that every day. I'm going to journal about it because that's the last thing. Journal your findings. And I want to conclude with this. Listen, if you and I will commit to loving and following God and reading his word, and taking in the glory of God every day, whether it be a sunset or a small insight of wisdom from his word, that we will write it down, reflect on it, and we will apply it to our life. I promise you that next year our church will look radically different than it does today. And that's my goal. My goal is not to talk you in to serving in the new year and, and getting you on board even more than you ever have been. Listen, I'm going to just trust that the Lord will work that in your heart. But I, I don't want us to be deceived, friends that we claim to love God and we don't do what his his word says. And I think that's the challenge. 
is that we would be all struck by the glory of God and that that would change our lives, our hearts, our thoughts, our actions. Let me pray for us. Uh, Father, we thank you for our time together. And Lord, I pray that you would use the reading of your word um, to excite, reignite our hearts. And Lord, as we sing, uh, we have an opportunity on both campuses to celebrate your goodness. We got an opportunity to, to sing and, and to shout and to bring glory to the God of heaven and earth, the one who gives us good things, the one who gives us fruit to taste with our lips, the one who governs the beehives around the world, uh, the one who puts planets and stars in the sky and uh, who allows us to be a part of all of it. Lord, thank you that we can see you. I just pray that we wouldn't do what others have done and be more mesmerized by the creation than the one who created it for us to be pointed to the one who loves us, cares for us, and gave his son for us. Thank you. And Lord, may we have a prosperous new year, and may that prosperous new year be more about you than it is us. In Jesus' name, amen.